1: Jeff Strain is a video game programmer whose new studio, Possibility Space, is headquartered in downtown New Orleans. An icon in the industry, Strain is the founder of Undead Labs, which makes the State of Decay video game series, and co-founder of ArenaNet, makers of the Guild Wars online role-playing game. Jeff Strain, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks, Rich, I appreciate being here.
1: And actually, I should say, welcome to New Orleans.
0: Yeah, I definitely appreciate being in New Orleans. Uh, This is uh, a place that uh, we've wanted to live our entire married life, and so it's great to finally be here. Well,
1: good. I'm going to ask you a little bit about how you got here and the -the behind-the-scenes story there, but first, for our listeners who aren't immersed in the video game industry, can can you talk a little bit about how it's evolved during the time you've been active, and and also, where do you see things going?
0: (laughs) Big (laughs) picture. Yeah, so uh, I've been in the ministry since 1995, uh, shortly after my wife and I got married. Uh, And I started the ministry right at a time when it was just starting to be considered a legitimate way to make a living. Right. Uh, You know, it it had definitely uh, been around for the previous 15 years as somewhat of a hobbyist endeavor. Uh, This was at a time in the, you know, the 80s and uh, early 90s, when it was still all about uh, Microsoft Windows versus Apple Macintosh and uh, DEC and NEC and the difference between mini computers and microcomputers and, yeah. and Ascendancy of IBM and so uh, games were at that time uh, kind of the hobbyist fringe side of, of commercial software development and subsequent to uh, to me starting in the industry in 1995 uh, at, a, at a much much younger and earlier stage blizzard entertainment
1: right
0: um, now we see ourselves in 2021 looking at an industry it's a 200 billion dollar industry that is growing okay. at, growing at 10 percent per year uh, more than 10 percent per year uh, so it is a a massive industry uh, and growing faster than any traditional form of entertainment um, and certainly is a place to make a legitimate living now uh, which is uh, which is great, given uh, our goals for being here.
1: So, I remember reading
0: comparisons
1: to the video game industry to say the film industry for like the last decade, uh, and it was always the, the gist of it was, look how much bigger the video game industry is than you would expect. Mm-hmm. I I'm imagine though, during the pandemic, as the film industry is dealing with everything it's dealing with, I mean, the comparison is getting worse for the film industry.
0: Yeah. I think you know the film industry is definitely going to have to pivot around the realities of, of streaming, and a lot of them are starting to do that. But you know, we're very fortunate in the game industry that we had already made that pivot into a uh, into an online distribution model. Uh, you know, a lot of the people who are familiar with the early days of the video game industry think of you know the Miss Pac Man arcade machine where you plugged in quarters. That was obviously something that was very Uh, physically based. And then uh, through the, the rise of the home game consoles, it was still very much the case that, uh, that it was all about the physical discs and, uh, you know, going to the store to buy your copy of, um, you know, NBA or, uh, you know, Madden 2012 or whatever it was you were playing at the time. But over the past decade, really, uh, this industry has made that profound transition towards largely, a digitally distributed uh, software model Um, and even more than that into a a services model. Just say people talk about cloud computing for your email right now uh, and that is very much the case in games too. Games are increasingly something that uh, you play online with your friends uh, rather than popping a disc in and playing by yourself. And so it is uh, absolutely the case that during the pandemic one of the economic bright spots, uh, even beyond the, the kind of larger tech industry was the game industry really thrived. People were looking not only for entertainment, but social connections. And that is increasingly what we're seeing with video games is that they are becoming social hubs for for people.
1: So I was gonna ask where you feel things are going, and it sounds like you just hinted, is the social aspects, is that the future?
0: It is uh, definitely for uh, possibility space and the kind of games that we're making and the, the market trends that we're looking to be uh, in, uh, to capture. Um, there is a, uh, a, a, you know, in many ways, the pandemic kind of accelerated trends that we already saw. And those were, especially for a younger generation of uh, Zoomers and Gen Z coming into our market, uh, they are playing 20% more games than, than generations before them, which is staggering. And the reason is because uh, for them, it is increasingly a place to meet and uh, spend time with their friends. Uh, and, and not just in kind of the, the surface ways of wearing a chat headset or typing on a keyboard to somebody, uh, but actual profound experiences, uh, emotional experiences, engaging gameplay mechanics that are built around those kind of social dynamics and, and, and giving people a reason to be online together uh, rather than just you're in that race car and I'm in this race car and we're gonna see who can get around the track the fastest.
1: I, the way I'm experiencing this is uh, when I would uh, shout to the kids that dinner's ready. Uh, I learned over the last five, five years or so that they can't just turn the game off because they're with some other people that they know and the other people are relying on them to complete some action. You know, so yeah. no, I need I need five more minutes. And it was a legitimate request.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they feel the social pressure of bailing out on some communal activity they're doing. Like, you know, a perfect example is uh, I'm sure you've you've had uh, kids who've gone through the Minecraft phase. Right. right. And, and that's a perfect example of a game where you're not just talking with each other. You're engaged in the process of building a world together. Right, right? It, it's meaningful, and you feel a sense of accomplishment. It is, it is creative and generative, uh, and at the end of it, there's there's a, a sense of social connection because you've accomplished something together. That you're proud right. of. yeah
1: yeah, which is why you know I probably was a really bad dad that time I unplugged everything because I was frustrated. You know, it's like t- dinner's ready. Uh, <laughs> okay, so um, you talked a little bit about where you feel things are going. Uh, can you explain to me your vision for your newest studio? I mean, how does this differ from the ones you've already created?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, uh, the studio is built from the ground up to, um, to support a distributed development model. Uh, we are based in New Orleans. We will have our operational hub here. We will have a lot of our uh, support infrastructure here and definitely um, our investments in, uh, in, in building a new talent pool based on, you know, uh, investments in the local region here. Um, but, uh, we also have the opportunity to, um, draw talent from a literally a global talent pool, uh, which is something that's quite different, right? I, this is my third from the ground up studio and, um, always it has been the case that where you are was the most significant decision you can make about your business. Um, because that gave you access to whatever talent pool was available in the area. Um, But we are very much in a different world now. And if you have the opportunity, you know, we have the opportunity to build from the ground up around this distributed model. The the pandemic and the way the game industry thrived through the pandemic showed us that that was not only possible, uh, but for many developers, really talented developers now who've been in the same company for 10, 15 years, they're looking for those opportunities to just live where they want to live you know, whether that's uh, be with their families, or just be in a beautiful part of the world, or like me, just live in a place they love, right? Uh, In a culture they love and with a community they love and where they want to kind of spend their professional investment. Uh, And so we're we're able to be at the forefront of that and really build a studio that welcomes those people um, and builds processes and development methodologies around that kind of distributed model. So it's super exciting for us, because we We get both the benefit of being here in New Orleans, the benefit of having access to some of the amazing emerging talent here, um, and at the same time, uh, being able to work with a really broad and diverse set of of a global talent pool.
1: So you mentioned distributed models several times in in answer to an earlier question. I just want to clarify, are you basically saying that that's the ability to... Build something with people scattered around, not all together and under one roof. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's
0: right. I mean, a lot of our core developers are right here in New Orleans. They they moved here shortly after I moved here um, because they wanted to. You know, I'm a huge advocate for the city and the quality of life here, and uh, and and a lot of these people have been living on the West coast and all the, you know, no disparagement towards the West coast, obviously it's been good for me and my career, but you know, it's, it's hard to buy a house there. It's, there's a lot of traffic problems. Um, you know, it can be just in terms of your quality of life, uh, a struggle sometimes. And uh, compared to the, um, the kinds of opportunities you have here to, to live a, uh, a very pleasant and very culturally engaged life. It's just, it's just a different scene. So a lot of those folks came down here with me, um, and are setting up shop here, and we'll be part of kind of a, uh, the, the New Orleans hub here. A lot of our uh, developers are all over the world. We have several in Canada, uh, one in Oklahoma, one in New Zealand, a couple in California, um, one in Berlin, um, and that's, that's fantastic. We get both the benefit of the kind of regional presence, but also the huge economic engine from being able to draw talent from all over the world. And to kind of bring that here, like these are the people who are going to be helping to mentor and teach uh, some of the folks that, that we want to reach out to here in the local area and bring into the game industry.
1: So if the pandemic hadn't happened and the seismic shift hadn't occurred in the way we all work, would you be talking to me from Porter Street right now or would you be on the West Coast?
0: oh no i'd be talking to you from Pointer street we moved here for love we were hell-bent on being here in the city uh you know no matter what and the the good news is that the state of louisiana makes that a very easy business decision uh this is the kind of industry that they want here uh and they've been uh, patient uh in curating uh the talent you know to to come here and um and from a financial standpoint um, they make it quite interesting to be here. Uh, and so we were able to marry both our love of the city and uh, make a good business decision by by building here. And that would have happened regardless of the pandemic.
1: Got you. Okay, understood. Now, so can you talk a little bit about just how it became New Orleans? How did you, how did you become enamored uh, with New Orleans? Why? How did you choose this versus every other place you could have gone? And then talk to you <laughs> about the deal. How did the deal come together?
0: Yeah, well... My wife loves this story. Uh, we're here for love. I'm here for love. Uh, so uh, uh, my wife, Annie, went to Loyola. Okay. And, um, and while she was here, we both grew up in in a small town in central Texas. Uh, okay. She went to college here and, and absolutely fell in love with the city. And uh, from the time we were married, uh, she said, wherever we need to go for career, family, whatever the the needs are, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm flexible, we can go anywhere. But if there's ever an opportunity to move to New Orleans and, and live there, that's where my heart is. And so um, even when we were working on the West Coast, we took every opportunity to come here uh, for Mardi Gras and a lot of times just for, you know, weekend visits. I got to know the city and, and found that I loved it as much as she did. And so uh, when we had the opportunity to, to make that, uh, that decision and, and be here, we knew this is where we wanted to be. And especially, uh, you know, Rich, there's a, a component to this of, uh, you know, we've had a good run uh, on the West Coast. There's a lot of opportunities there in this industry um, on the West Coast. And, and we took advantage of those and, and, and they were good to us, right? And so for a lot of, uh, for, you know, we're, we're very aware that those opportunities aren't equally distributed uh, around the United States, that there are parts of the world where this thriving, uh, wonderful industry where people can, you know, realize so much creative expression and, and really be part of, as the numbers we were discussing earlier, part of that kind of growth trend that um, those opportunities aren't aren't everywhere, and they're not here. And so for us, it was the love of the city, and also an opportunity to come build here and start creating some of those on ramps into this industry right here in New Orleans.
1: I got you. And so, how long had you been talking behind the scenes with you know G- GNO Inc. and whoever else it was that you were working on to put the deal together? How 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 long did this take? Uh,
0: Josh Fleeg and Grady Fitzpatrick. Uh, been talking to me since I think probably 2017 okay uh, you been, they've been courting you for five years they have been yeah uh and and uh, uh I always tell this joke they came up and visited me at my studio in Seattle and told me how uh great the state of Louisiana was how uh how much the uh governor and the legislature really wanted to build this industry here and took me through all the the programs that made that um attractive and we had a good conversation and they left and uh about a week later a king cake showed up at my studio uh two giant king cakes that I could uh give a piece to every every one of my developers so um and then I think every Mardi Gras after that I got a king cake from those guys so uh they were definitely uh definitely following up and and making sure that uh that it was top of mind for me
1: they pulled the old king cake maneuver on you
0: yeah I was pretty much gone at that point
1: in the last six months we've had several big acquisitions yeah. that have kind of changed the equation down here. So mm-hmm. we, we, turbo squid was acquired mm-hmm. and now level set. And so I feel like that's going to help the, the the city salespeople tell technology companies, startups, game, game designers, anyone that look, new Orleans is a place where you can come and it'd be much more affordable for people to live. You've got some incentives to be here and it's a great place to launch something and, and now we've got proof that it works. Do you do you feel like that's a that's a viable sales pitch now? And how would you add to that sales pitch as you're as you're talking up New Orleans to your to your peers?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a viable sales pitch. But what what I would add to that is why were those companies here, right? Uh, you know, Turbosquid uh, was here because the founders and owners of that company wanted to live in New Orleans. Uh, as you probably know, there's a Microsoft studio here as well. Uh, right. The New Orleans division of Exile. Um, and, um, and they're here because the principals of that studio wanted to move here, right? They wanted to live in New Orleans, and this, again, to me is what's powerful here is that you get to marry both the, the desire to live in a, in a creative and interesting and, frankly, pleasant part of the world um, with the, the business rationale behind it. Both of those studios... We're able to take advantage of some of the incentives that the state provides uh, to operate a a tech business here or certainly an entertainment business. Um, Those are not just examples of companies that did well and got purchased. Those are examples of the policy working uh, married to a beautiful place to live, right? And and that's that's what's really the unique one-two punch here.
1: Got gotcha, You got gotcha. you. Now, can you talk to me about the transcend fund? I was just re- researching you before I got on this call and I saw that that's an investor. Like, how does it work when you're putting a studio together like this? How, how much outside investment do you need to get? And, and that's going to lead me into a question, which is how much does it cost and how long does it take to develop uh, one of your games? I mean, how big of an endeavor is this?
0: Yeah. Uh, it, so it varies depending on the scope of the project, the length of the project. Um, you know, some games uh, take can be done with teams of five to ten people over two years. Some games take you know a team of five hundred people over four years. You know, uh, obviously the the scale there varies widely because the the market is diverse enough and rich enough that um, that there are ecological niches there, right? And and you can make a good living. Keeping your overhead down and making small games and finding uh, that kind of indie market on the Steam platform, you can make a good living making what we call AAA games, and um, and really being one of those pinnacle marquee titles that's released every year, um, and having 10 million players. Right, uh, the you know in terms of the investment and financing side, some companies will get uh, a lot of, you know, primarily be funded through equity investment and investors. There's a lot of investment money in the industry right now. Um, A lot of investors will do project financing. They'll work with a company like uh, Microsoft or Activision or EA or Take-Two and and they will act as a publisher and help offset the development. Um, Some companies will take a hybrid approach of both of those. Um, Other than transcends early stage investment, Um, we haven't announced any of our partnerships or how we're uh, structuring the financing around the company, but I can tell you that um, of the range of investment of the um, scale of products that we are building. um, It's definitely on that larger side uh, on the more ambitious endeavors. Yeah. AAA. Uh, That, that phrase has a lot of baggage in this industry right now uh, because it is often used to mean, uh, developers often think that means not innovative. a triple A would be oh. you know the fifth you know it 's um, you know, uh, here i 'm making my jet combat simulator you know number five right like we 're right. just kind of iterating on the same platform over and over again, uh, but in terms of uh, ambition and um, capability to achieve a highly polished uh, uh, very impactful title, yeah, definitely more in that category.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you, you mentioned that you're envisioning a positive, joyful game. That's, what, I think those are the two words that stuck out. Yep. What can you elaborate? What, 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 what does yeah. that mean?
0: So it's interesting that word, you would not have heard that mentioned anywhere in the game industry 10 years ago. Uh, it wasn't cool. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Ten, 10 years ago, we were still, you know, every, you know, the, the, the way you developed your messaging was, um, is it cool? Is it awesome? Uh, you know, the, the kinds of genres that were the most popular uh, were kind of your traditional shooters. We had the rise of what we call the mobiles, the mobile, the uh, massive online battle arenas, Yeah. Uh, you know, um, the uh, league of legends uh, type of games. And then we had what we called the, uh, Battle Royale type games like Fortnite and, and, and PUBG. Um, there's been a real shift and a trend developing over the past five years. And this is really driven by a lot of what we were talking about earlier about uh, the influx of uh, Gen Z and, and younger players into the market who have different needs and different expectations. Um, and they are looking for these more profoundly social experiences. They also they also want games to make them feel good. They want it to be a pleasant experience. You know, they, they, and, and I think a lot of us, even traditional gamers are starting to feel that way. You know, the pandemic's been tough, right? You know, like it's been a tough couple of years and people are looking for experiences that are, that are pleasant and pleasurable. And for the first time in, in my career, over the past three or four years, I've really heard words like pleasant, like joy, like mm-hmm. happiness kind of enter into the dialogue. And, and there is a, a, a shift in the type of games that we're going to be making, uh, to acknowledge that. A perfect example is you probably saw in the middle of the pandemic, uh, Animal Crossing just blow up. Yeah. Right? That's a, so that's a franchise that's been around for 15, 20 years. Wow. Right? But that particular iteration of the game blew up because at the time it hit, it was just what people needed. It
1: was <laughs> pleasant. Mm-hmm.
0: It was pleasant. It was light. It was easy, and that doesn't mean that we're not making games with dramatic impact or uh, that can't, you know, have engaging, uh, kind of emotionally powerful mechanics around them. Right. It just means that you know the uh, at the end of the experience, you want people coming away from it and feeling good, and that is now a specific objective as we go into game design. Let's make people feel good.
1: Gotcha, and what else can you share about your your particular project as far as timeline or anything like that? Can you share anything?
0: Uh, zero. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, we will blow the trumpets when we're ready, but now is not the time.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I've just got a couple more questions for you. One is uh, I wanted to ask you about the comments you made about being all for unions and in the industry and also saying that you know enough is enough as far as some of the bad behavior at some of the other video game studios that had that been making the news. T- tell me a little bit about your philosophy there and, and how you're applying that philosophy to your new venture.
0: Sure. Well, let's go back to um, an earlier discussion we had about uh, the origins of the game industry and how for, many years, it was almost a hobbyist endeavor, right? Right. It it wasn't really until the early nineties that it became um, an industry really like where you could go build your, your career. Right. Um, And so a lot of the early game companies were a couple of friends from college got together and started a company uh, or, um, uh, you know, somebody, you know, a couple of colleagues left IBM um, and started making Zork Adventure Games and that turned into a publishing label, right? Okay. Um, it, it didn't have the, the the kind of origins in mature, professional, well-run organizations. Right? Okay. Um, and, and a lot of what we're seeing is just that kind of, um, you know, old boys club type of foundational mentality that propagated down through the years that still has not been reconciled against a more professional way of operating and more professional you know, mechanics. Um, so, you know, where I am with this is, you know, the studios I've built, um, I've always tried very hard to, uh, to make them, um, fair and equitable places to work, uh, to be aware of some of the abuses that have gone on in the industry. But, but what I'm very aware of is that, uh, that's just me having good intentions. Right. right. And, and really, the problems that we see with some of this behavior is not so much that there's not people with good intentions as it is there's no structure to reinforce how they should be operating. And so my, my call for unionization um, was not so much that I believe it's my job to go drive that. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a studio head, right? Like, you know, I build businesses. Um, instead, my goal was to defang it, to make it not scary, to try to normalize the expectation that we really should have standards that we can all adhere to just basic standards of human decency and and fairness and equality, right. That we as an industry can all get behind and, and support. Um, And, you know, my, my basic premise there is, if you're afraid of, of those things, then then maybe you should step back and rethink the way you're operating your business, right? right? I'd like to believe that I'm in front of whatever kind of reasonable demands a union might make in terms of compensation, in terms of uh, in terms of fair pay for you know equal pay for equal work, uh, in in terms of how every employee is is treated, in terms of workplace equality and you know no harassment and you know all these kind of check boxes that you would say yeah that makes a decent working environment. I'd like to believe that I'm well ahead of that. Um, And so really what I was calling for there is, if this is what it takes, this is a tool in the toolbox that we should not be afraid of. And I'm really asking my fellow studio heads and business executives in this industry to stop fighting that and instead, try to develop some some common standards that we can all adhere to.
1: Understood. I'm thinking about how a distributor workplace changes the dynamic and you might not have the same types of issues, but there's still gonna be issues. It's just gonna, Evolve into the new way of working. You know, oh,
0: yeah, there are absolutely issues, and if anything, uh, it's more of a challenge because sometimes they can hide. Right? They right. can hide uh, in the you know the like the Zoom culture of uh, everybody just meeting you know one to one. A lot of times right. you don't have those kind of observational techniques of just walking down the hall and and seeing behavior or seeing things. Right. So it definitely takes uh, some different levels of cultural investment on our part to make sure. Um, that uh, that we're building the culture we want to build.
1: Gotcha. I just got like two more questions for you. One is, can you just tell us how f- far along in the process of getting the New Orleans studio space up and running you are? I mean, are you fifty percent or seventy-five percent staffed, or where where are we in this process?
0: Well, the the project is not yet fifty percent staffed. Um, you know, we're still. Uh, I mean, we just officially got underway in June. Right. Um, so um, that said, uh, we probably have 12 to 15 people here already in the, in the New Orleans side of this.
1: And it ha- when a year from now or whenever you're sort of more up and running, how many expect, do you expect to have downtown? Uh,
0: you know, it, it really, uh, it, it's hard to put numbers on that because, you uh, You know, we're not asking people to move here. We're instead making it attractive for them to move here, Uh, and uh, and so you know, we'd love to see uh, over time somewhere between forty and fifty percent of our total workforce here in New Orleans. Uh, But it's not something that we can really put those kind of specific quotas on.
1: Okay, I'm going to ask, what would you say your total workforce numbers? Would you project those to be?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that uh, we're probably looking at, I think we said in the in press release, Andy, what was the numbers we used? 75 people uh, at 100,000, yeah, uh, over the next two years or so.
1: Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, um, before my final, final question, I just want to mention that, you know, you talked about how there's other design, there's other studios around there,
0: and not yeah. just here in
1: Baton Rouge, there's some action. So is that a community all? I mean, you guys going to get together and play kickball, or do are, are you you'd see these people? Or how?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, uh, kind of the traditional game development hubs like Seattle and Los Angeles and San Francisco have strong uh, developer community functions and organizations and, and representation. Uh, I have already uh, started talking to some of my fellow studio heads here about those kinds of activities for New Orleans. We there are casual groups already. Uh, but making that more of a kind of formal community where we can work together uh, to try to recruit people in the area is, is definitely something that uh, we're all talking about. So yeah, it's not underway yet, but uh, it is certainly a goal of ours. And I think getting a little bit of critical mass here, right? Like I, I think there's been a lot of momentum generated out of the announcement that, that we were building this year right. um, is something that, that should get the ball rolling on that. I'll certainly be doing my part for it as well.
1: Great, that can only be good for us, I know that. And last question is, you know, looking at the pandemic and then the storms that have come through, New Orleans really hasn't been able to be New Orleans for the last almost two years. And it's got everybody sort of in a malaise, the paper talked about it on Sunday. Yeah. When you look at New Orleans and the New Orleans economy and and your investment, you know, metaphorically and literally here, what makes you feel worried for us down here and what makes you feel optimistic?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, the first thing I'd say is I know when you're here that it feels like that pandemic malaise is uniquely focused and targeted here. Right. And and it's really not. I mean, we, we spend a lot of time in in Seattle. We still have uh, colleagues and, and uh, business there. And, um, and, you know, the people there feel the same way, right? That malaise is everywhere. Right. You know, we, we, we do have some additional, uh, you know, impact from, uh, you know, weather here. But um, but I will just tell you that profoundly the, that feeling of the malaise from the pandemic is just, you know, is not unique to New Orleans. Um, the one thing that does make it perhaps different is that this is a city that thrives on music and festivals and that, those kind of out in your neighborhood and in the street socialization. That's what makes this city so utterly wonderful and unique in the United States. And it's hard for it to still feel its identity when that is being suppressed uh, by the pandemic. But you know, I look at that and I say, look, I, I have the long view on this. It's gonna pass. And this city as it has every single time, will come roaring back to life, roaring back to life. To me, being here right now when it's not at 100% is an investment in, in the future that I 100% feel confident in. I guarantee you five years from now, four years from now, maybe a lot sooner than that, right? This, what's going on right now will be an unpleasant memory but everything that we love about new Orleans will be here. And then some like people are going to bounce back from this. The spirit of this city is not gone. We're all doing our part to keep it, you know, to, to, to take care of each other and to keep those things suppressed right now, but it will pass. And when it does, I, I have no hesitation whatsoever. that The new Orleans that we all know and love is going to be here. And we're all going to consider ourselves damn fortunate, that we made the decision to stay here and build here and be part of it because, you know, everybody's going to want to be here <laughs> when this thing kicks back up. So get in now.
1: All right. Preach, preach. Yeah, uh, That's funny. I've, I asked that same question to every guest I've had on the podcast for the last you know year and you, you gave the most inspirational answer I've heard so far. So I appreciate that. You bet. Thanks for all your time.
0: Yeah, Rich. Appreciate the time to talk to you as well. Good luck. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media, at BizNewOrleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com biztalks.